global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father, we thank you so much for calling us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Lord, we know that it's not to our credit in any way, but that we are simply grateful recipients of your Holy Spirit, and our children are as well. And we just pray for commitment. We pray for repentance to be granted unto Israel, that we would be mothers and fathers in Israel, that we would be the true disciples of our children not leaving this to another, but to truly take upon our tasks that you've assigned to us. Forgive us for our failures. And we just pray for each child, represented by all the many, many people viewing this seminar. There are so many precious, precious children whom Satan has a target on their back, seeking whom he may devour. We just pray for their protection. We pray for parents to truly see your will for them, and that we might have this task with joy and enjoy the pleasures of parenting these children for the kingdom, to see them do the work in the last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, another character trait is one of the most important, one of the most continual in our home and I believe in every home, and that's helpfulness. If you teach your children that your family and your home is a family firm, a family company, corporation, whatever you want to call it, that we, we have an economy here, that we are getting things done, that we are doing tasks, that we are, that we are working together as a family firm, then the children will learn from the earliest days the lesson of helpfulness. Let every mother teach her children that they are members of the family firm and they must bear their share of the responsibilities of this firm. The satisfaction that children will have in being useful and denying themselves to help others will be the most healthful pleasure they ever enjoyed. Those children for whom parents do the most frequently feel under the least obligation toward them. You call that being spoiled. If you do everything for their kids, they won't all of a sudden feel immense senses of gratitude. Oh, I owe so much to my parents. No, no, no. The spoiled kids don't feel obligation. It's the ones who are required to chip into the family firm. They feel obligated to chip in because they've been trained to do so. From infancy, children should be trained to do those things which are appropriate for their age and ability. Even babies, right? Keep these children with you. I love that sentence. Keep these children with you. What a great way to parent. Let them ask questions and in patience answer them. Give your little children something to do. I like that one too. Give your little children something to do. And let them have the happiness of supposing they help you. If they make mistakes, if accidents happen and things break... Do not blame them. And of course, this is going to take a lot longer. But let them have the happiness of thinking that they're being helpful. Don't say, oh, you know, you're, this is taking too long. I'll just do it. No way. Uh, and, and keep these children with you. Adventist home page 184 refers to the almost constant association that mothers have with their children. And when they're with you, then they do what it is that you're doing. When my wife goes shopping, and the kids go shopping too with mom. And so, where mom and dad are doing things, keep these children with you. And again, it's not about efficiency. It's about character building. It will take longer. And my wife said to me, make sure to tell folks that 
we're going to think, but I won't get everything done then that I need to get done. My wife says, "Uh, you won't. You won't get everything done. Yeah. That's not the point. The point is not to get everything done. The point is to raise your children to know the Lord, to have characters fit for heaven. Child Guidance 125 does mention training your hands to move more quickly. Move with dispatch. Don't let your eye catch books and papers and get distracted for this and that. Just say to yourself, I have only this much time to get my allotted task done. I'm going to do it quickly. Then you can get as much done as you can, but you will not get everything done. My wife, when she's dusting, the kids are dusting. When my wife's folding laundry, the kids are folding hand towels and matching socks. And dad does some of this too as well. But my wife definitely shares the vast majority of the burden. Uh, When my wife's picking green beans, the kids are bread by cider. Levi mainly picking green beans as well. And not quite as many as mom, but that's okay. And mom's doing more with the kids and getting less done. Efficiency, sacrifices in favor of character building. It can be so given that the child will find pleasure in learning to be helpful. Make the life of your children pleasant and at the same time teach them to be obedient and helpful, bearing small burdens as you bear larger ones. And the father should help in devising ways by which they may be kept busy in useful labor agreeable to their varying dispositions. So you note the different children and what they might enjoy the most, what they might be geared toward the most, and you help foster that environment of helpfulness. Now on gift-giving occasions... Ask for gifts from relatives that will help the child's development, that will help teaching the child, that will help with their spiritual life, that will help get them outside, doing practical things. We've gotten so many wonderful gifts since we've started doing this. The, the gifts and the things you get if people are giving your kids presents, be sure to intervene in that. You know, take control of that. Be in charge of that. Don't let it just, oh, that's what we got. Like, if you don't know what it is before they open it, that's a problem. Because it could be something completely contrary to your values. And the person giving it might not know, right? So you're not being rude or dictating. You're, you're, you're helping them be a blessing to your children, which is what they want to do anyway. Another character trait is industriousness, which is related to helpfulness. All from the child six years old and upward, should all children from six and older should understand that it is required of them to bear their share of life's burdens. So once they turn six, it's, you know, it's a little bit more of a serious thing. To allow a child to take an hour or two in doing a piece of work that could easily be done in half an hour is to allow the child to form dilatory habits. Work is good for children. They are happier to be usefully employed a large share of the time. Their innocent amusements are enjoyed with a keener zest after the successful completion of their task. I just talked about that a minute ago. It will teach them that they are not to center their thoughts upon themselves, to do their own pleasure, or to amuse themselves. Let us teach them that innocent pleasure is never half so satisfying as when it follows active industry. I've already commented on that. So let's move on to another character trait of self-reliance. Helpfulness, industrious, self-reliance are all linked together. Because when they're learning to be helpful, they're learning to be good workers, and then they can be self-reliant. Parents should now encourage their children to become more independent. Serious troubles are soon to be seen upon the earth, and children should be trained in such a way as to be able to meet them. So far as possible, every child should be trained to self-reliance. If they would stand in a position where they shall influence others, they must be self-reliant. Teach self-denial, economy, large-heartedness, and self-reliance. Now that doesn't mean we're just like, peace out, you know, have a good time with that. I would say, Levi, I'm here, buddy. 
if you need me, if you need help, I'll be here. And he'd say, oh, I need help. And I said, well, no, you're doing a good job. You don't need help. And he'd persevere, which is our next character trait, perseverance. Children frequently begin a piece of work with enthusiasm, but becoming perplexed or wearied with it, they wish to change and take hold of something new. Thus, they may take hold of several things, meet with a little discouragement, and give them up. And so they pass from one thing to another, perfecting nothing. Parents should not allow the love of change to control their children. They should not be so much engaged with other things. Oh, we do that, don't we? We get busy as parents. We're so engaged with other things that they will not have time to patiently discipline the developing minds. A few words of encouragement or a little help at the right time. You're allowed to give a little help if it's appropriate. May carry them over their trouble and discouragement and the satisfaction they will derive from seeing, seeing the task completed that they undertook will stimulate them to greater exertion. This theme of perseverance, just recently my, my son Levi, he's the older one, so he gets all the stories, but Levi um, was at a friend's house with, uh, with uh, my wife, and he looked at his, his uh, friends riding a horse at this house. And he was scared to do it. He didn't get on the horse. Well, I learned about that, and I, my pride is wounded a little bit, but mainly I wanted him to face his fear and persevere. And so I gave him a little incentive. I said, you know, we're going to go on a, a special lunch outing together. But um, first we've got to stop by and I want you to ride the horse. Like your friends did from church. And um, he was afraid to do it, but he wanted, he wanted the incentive. He wanted to do the special outing with Dad. And since Dad was there, it sort of gave him the extra courage that he needed. And he prayed. He, he said he, it was his idea to pray. And so he prayed that God would give him the strength and perseverance to overcome his fear. And this is, by the way, this is the prayer journal. I, I have it with me. Um, that, you know, we keep asked and answered prayers in this. And so my wife wrote down, Levi was afraid of riding the horse at the boss's house and today had an opportunity to overcome that fear. So he prayed. And then it says, after praying, Levi not only sat on the horse, I said, all you got to do is sit on it. But then once we were up there, I said, hey, why don't we walk? He wanted to walk. And he was so proud of himself, and we were too. And on the phone, we had him call mom. He called mom and told her that he prayed, or he prayed thank you to God on the phone with her, with her, and thanked God for helping him overcome his fear. And I quoted my son Levi here, because I've repeated the same quote back to him a number of times, to help reinforce the perseverance. He said, Dad, I was afraid and didn't want to get on the horse. It's like scripted, like this is exactly what I would want him to say. I was afraid and didn't want to get on the horse, but I did, and actually, I really liked it. It was actually fun. So, those kind of lessons, you know, those are character-building experiences. You might say, well, that's silly, that's just a horse. What does that have to do with spirituality? It's forming the courage, and that is a spiritual trait. Perseverance is courage, the same thing. Instead of calling attention to every trifling pain or hurt, divert their minds. Teach them to pass lightly over little annoyances or discomforts. I want to get now to the most single most important character trait there is. And by the way, with all of these character traits, make them a deliberate, a deliberate part of your curriculum, if you will. Go searching for Bible stories that apply with certain character traits that you're trying to emphasize. My wife, at certain points, has had like a 13-week character binder with a, with a character curriculum for their, their lessons and their studies and what they talk about and the Bible lessons that they bring out. But this one really encompasses all of them. This is the very character of God. 
And it's self-sacrificing service, self-sacrificing beneficence, if you will. Successful parents raise families that regularly serve others together. So we are training our children to know that they don't exist for their own selves, that their life is meant to be a blessing to others, to be missionaries, to win souls, to do the work of God, to give of themselves so that others will be happier. And you remember the quote from the very beginning about the children going forth in the very last days to do the work that the older members of the church can't do because their, their way will be hedged up? That's what we're talking about here. And I've seen powerful things. And, and definitely not to my credit because there's no way that I could have manifested any of this in, in my children. But we were heading to Thanksgiving and Levi said, hey, let's bring some steps to Christ and give those out at the Thanksgiving dinner. That was his idea. I was like, that's awesome. And again, I'm not the example because I just started doing this just this summer. I started teaching my son Levi a Bible study to give. I thought, okay, how could you present the gospel in three verses? Absolutely. So I, I found three verses that really sum up the gospel well, ones that he already knew. So he starts off his gospel presentation with Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then the second verse is, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Romans 6.23. And the third verse is 1 John 1.9, which is, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he has the verses memorized and the little commentary on each one. Then my son Levi and I, we, we had some apples from our orchard that we took to the local farmer's market. And it just so happened that our very first time at the farmer's market to sell apples... The Lord didn't have us there to sell apples and make like $40 in a whole day. He had us there because the tent next to us was a Jehovah's Witness tent. And they had their literature out. And we also had literature that we were distributing along with our apples. And uh, the Jehovah's Witness came over. Oh, you're distributing literature as well. Oh, yeah, we are too. And so we opened the Bible and started talking. And my son Levi is, is listening to this hours-long Bible study interrupted by a lot of other things, but just going through a lot of things in the Bible together. And he's jumping in every once in a while. But then I, I challenged him. I said, Levi, do you want to give your gospel presentation to the lady here? She knows about the Bible and knows about Jesus, but you can tell her even more. And so he gave her the Bible study. And so she started saying, the Jehovah's Witness started telling everybody that came to our booth, this child here is evidence of what you read in Deuteronomy 6. And in Deuteronomy 6, it says that parents should talk about the word, the commandments as we rise up and as we get down, as we go by the way and write it on the doorposts of our houses and upon our gates and foreheads and, and hands and everything. And so she was testifying and witnessing to others of a Seventh-day Adventist family. Isn't that powerful? You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. In 1969, the U.S. Department of Education announced its intention to use the public schools as, quote, a means to achieve important social goals of a national character. Wait a minute, I thought education was about helping children's character and their academic development. Think again. It's a social engineering experiment. And much more than a mere social agenda, Bob Chase of the NEA stated in 1997 that, quote, education is the modern world's temporal religion. It's time to wake up, to come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. The DVD series is called Schooled, the deliberate agenda to reduce individuality, destroy intelligence, and re-engineer society. 
In Schooled, you'll hear it straight from the mouths of the founders of modern schooling themselves. They're quite proud of it. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Then here's the really fun story. We went to give out great controversies, Levi and I did, and we got a bunch of the really cheap ones from Remnant Publications, got a whole giant box of them. We're just going to give these out because the last days are here. So we went to the rest area off of the highway near our house, and we, we just sat there on one of the benches at the rest area, and as somebody would come by, unsuspectingly, <laughs> Levi would pop out with a book, and he'd say, Hi, I'm Levi, and this is the great controversy. It's a free book. And he would hand it to them, and... Some of them would say, no, thank you. But an astounding number would stop and say yes. If an adult would have done that, like 95% would have said, no, thank you, right? One lady really took interest in him. And she got down at his level like this. And she looked into his eyes. And she said, what is that book about? And Levi said, it's about how Jesus is coming soon. And she said, yes, Jesus is coming soon. And you could just hear the emotion in her voice. And I said, Levi. Why don't you give her your gospel presentation? And Levi says, can I tell you something about Jesus? We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, verse 6. And she didn't even let him get past that verse because she just started weeping. And she said to him and to me, she said, my my mother died. My husband left me. My son is addicted to painkillers. I have no church. I'm lonely. And this is not some like weird eccentric lady. She was a pretty normal lady who was going through, uh, she said, a storm. She said, I'm going through a storm in my life right now. And this is what I needed. That's what I'm talking about when I say the children will go forth. I don't tell this story because I'm proud of my son. I tell this story because I want to inspire all the children of all the families in our faith community to, to, to just allow the Holy Spirit to use them. Because He will. And that's what we saw here, that these parents are serving together with their children, the successful parents. And I confess not doing that enough. But that takes some self-sacrifice, doesn't it? That's the character trait I'm talking about right now. Let's look at this. In their early years, children may be useful in God's work. The children should be so educated that they will sympathize with the aged and afflicted. We've gone and visited the, the elderly in the nursing homes and will seek to alleviate the sufferings of the poor and distressed. They should be taught to be diligent in missionary work and from their earliest years, self-denial and sacrifice for the good of others and the advancement of Christ's cause should be inculcated that they may be laborers together with God. Children are to be educated to deny themselves. At one time when I was speaking in Nashville, the Lord gave me light on this matter. It flashed upon me with great force that in every home there should be a self-denial box, or in this case, a jar. 
and that into this box the children should be taught to put their pennies that they would otherwise spend for candy and other unnecessary things. My wife is doing this with my son. She's got uh, different different categories of this is savings, this is tithe, this is offering, this is um, savings to spend, this is savings to, to save and, and, and build up for the future. And then if we're thinking, hey, maybe we should spend money on this, we can say, well, that might not be necessary. Let's give this to the cause. Now, I'll tell you something. When it comes to character training, it's not just these character traits we've seen and this ultimate character trait that we've seen of self-sacrifice. But if we're pouring all these good things into our children and we're studying the Word of God, as we said, and we're having family worship, we're doing all the good, the good, the good, the good, the good, and then we let them turn on the TV or go and be involved with the bad influences, we're going to negate everything we're doing. So this last portion, as we cruise toward the end here, we've got to talk about guarding our children's hearts. The successful parents did this in Barna's study. They were strict on media, They were heavily involved in their children's lives in every aspect. If their children looked at what other kids get to do, or what other kids don't have to do, and they started complaining, these parents stuck to their guns and they said, this is how we do it. Most importantly, these parents, or maybe media is most important, but this is hugely important, these parents were very involved in choosing their children's friends. They didn't just let this happen naturally and and, and let the children use their own immature judgment for that. And by the way, just because you're at church or Sabbath school or Pathfinders or Christian school doesn't necessarily mean we're looking at the best influences there either. So we need to always be looking at guarding our children's hearts. Now, don't take this from me. Let's look at the inspiration. Fathers and mothers, do you allow your children to associate with other children without being present? To know what kind of education they are receiving? Do not allow them to be alone with other children. Give them your special care. Let them visit your, let other children visit your children in your presence. And in no case allow these associates to lodge in the same bed or even in the same room. It is impossible to overestimate the importance for this world and for the next of the associations we choose for ourselves and more especially for our children. Could my voice reach the parents all through the land? Now this preface right here, that's a strong preface. She's about to say, if I could speak to all the parents in the country, here's the thing that I would need to say to them. I would warn them not to yield to the desires of their children in choosing their companions or associates. Little do parents consider that injurious impressions are far more readily received by the young than are divine impressions. I have tried to keep my children from associating with rough, rude boys and have presented inducements before them to make their employment at home cheerful and happy. That's a good way to do it. By keeping their minds and hands occupied, they have had but little time or disposition to play in the streets with other boys and to obtain a street education. Well, people object with this. We are in the world, they say, and we cannot get out of it. I've actually heard this from some of my fellow brethren. Come on, we're in the world. We're not going to get out of the world. Here's the answer. Parents, we can get a good way out of the world if we choose to do so. We can avoid seeing many of the evils that are multiplying so fast in these last days. We can avoid hearing about much of the wickedness and crime that exist. I have been shown that there should be a sacred shield around every family. Shield their children from contaminating influences, we read. Sacred shield. 
I was thinking about this concept of a shield a while back. And I was, it, it's kind of shaped like this, right? And it prevents things from getting at you this way. Well, if you took a shield and put it up above you like this, this would no longer be a shield, but a shelter, right? Now, I've heard that word in the context of parenting before. They said, you're not supposed to shelter your children. But as I thought about that, if there's a storm coming, or a storm presently here, won't I actually want to shelter my children, my family? Isn't it logical? Isn't it the sensible thing to do to get a shelter? To get under a shelter? But we use the word in a derogatory way. Isn't that kind of weird? Like, don't be sheltering your children. I think next time somebody says to me, Scott, you don't show them any, worldly me- any, any media? Like, they're not allowed to watch TV? Aren't you afraid you're going to shelter your children? Next time I hear that, I'm going to say... You've noticed that we've been trying to provide a shelter for our children? Yes, we are really trying to do that. How are you doing it? I'm looking for advice. How do you best shelter your children from the onslaught of the enemy, seeking to capture their souls? The storm that is coming upon you. Can you give me some tips on how to shelter well? I'm trying to take the language back. Do you understand? Because sheltering is a good thing. Now, by the way, we could take that word and, 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 and use it wrongly. We could... We could shield our children from any challenges in life so that they don't have to develop perseverance. That's not a good form of sheltering. But how about this? From their infancy, the youth need to have a firm barrier built up between them and the world, that its corrupting influences may not affect them. Every Christian family should illustrate to the world the power and excellence of Christian influence. So you're actually going to be an influence by being a peculiar people. When you shelter and shield yourself from the contaminating influences of the world and you become different, then you can be an influence. Because nobody's going to look at something that's basically the same thing as them and be influenced by it. They'll be influenced by something that's different and attractive and, huh, you guys do things differently. Tell me about it. Then there's the potential for influence there. Now, the goal of parenting, of course, is not to just keep kids under a shelter for their whole lives. You want to give them the capability to be able to go out and where you don't... The goal of parenting is to not parent anymore, right? You want to get to the point where you don't have to parent them anymore. You've guarded their hearts. You've trained their characters. You've disciplined them. You've led them to Jesus Christ. You've discipled them. And now they can go from your care and be independent. And that's what this statement's talking about. Since they cannot always have the guidance and protection of parents and guardians, they need to be trained to self-reliance and self-control. They must be taught to think and act from conscientious principles. So just some balance there on the sheltering concept. But one last thing from a Barna research finding, a couple more quotes, and then we'll close this session. Successful parents are countercultural, and this causes them little stress or concern. They accept from day one that their parenting will be different from most. So if you're not going to have worldly media and you're going to selectively choose your children's friends and all of these things, that's kind of crazy and weird and different. You're guarding your children's hearts. That's peculiar. And people will look at you and be like, you're weird, right? <laughs> These parents realized that they would be weird, and they were okay with that from day one. They realized their parenting needed to be on, based upon the Bible. Let's hear some quotes on this very topic. There should be less care for what the outside world will say, and more thoughtful attention to the members of the family circle. Mothers should never allow their sisters or mothers to interfere with the wise management of their children. The votaries of fashion will never see or understand the immortal beauty of that Christian mother's work and will sneer at her old-fashioned notions and her plain, unadorned dress while the majesty of heaven will write the name of that faithful mother 
in the book of immortal fame. Isn't that a great place to end with that quote? All of the challenges, all of the fortitude, all of the, the peculiarities, all of the feeling like a failure, all of these daily challenges of being a parent will finally come to this point where you see that the majesty of heaven is approved of your work. Not because you did everything perfectly, but because you walked with him. When you fell down, you got back up. Because you were willing to be different. Because you were willing to guard their hearts. Because you were willing to say, this is my number one job in life and I'm going to make sacrifices. Because you were willing to take the time to prepare family worships. To prepare Bible, Bible study with the children. To weave Jesus into their experience. You were willing to make all the sacrifices needed to disciple your children. Moms and dads. The faithful mother and the faithful father. I'll add that. And so... We're going to come out from them and be separate, saith the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. I'm appreciating noble things, says the spectator sports fanatic as myself. I'm appreciating teamwork, I said. Sportsmanship, the fruits of their hard work, and the talents that God gave them. Now, some of this may be true, but this leads me to a question. As Christians, are we merely looking for the good to outweigh the bad? Sure, there's inappropriately dressed cheerleaders and lots of bad attitudes and hyper-competitive things. Okay, I got you. You know, when I look at Philippians 4.8, God asks us to look for the true, the noble, the right, the admirable, the pure. If I want to look for something where the good outweighs the bad, the devil's got all kinds of options for me out there. He knows how to wrap his poison in some juicy-looking, tasty, and healthy and nutritious item. And we bite right in, and we get the poison right along with it. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.